We're going to look at <laughs> trombone. We're going to look at uh, trumpets tonight. We have these silver trumpets in. Uh, that's why I did that. So I know I shocked some of you, but uh, it's it's the sound of trumpets tonight in Numbers chapter ten. So let's open our Bibles there and. And while you're doing that, just a real quick report. I just got this email. I've been in touch with Pastor Daniel. Um, he is, as you know, his son David has been in the hospital for many days. Um, some unexplained. Doctors don't know what's going on. Uh, but they've been really going through it as a family. And uh, David has has had some really interesting uh, times with God in this difficult time at the hospital. But uh, last night something happened, and then uh, today all his symptoms have gone. And I just got this message from him uh, about 10 minutes ago. Hi, Lee, they released us today. This is Pastor Daniel. We are home with David getting so much needed rest, but more importantly, we are resting in the Lord and looking to him. Lord willing, I'll be in the office tomorrow. Love you, bro. Thanks for all your support. So uh, just, I just wanted to share that report with you. Uh, again, I'm, thank you for praying for, for them. It's a blessing to uh, pray for those that are sick and to, to trust the Lord for his answers to prayer. And as, as Christians, we put our trust in a sovereign God, an all-powerful, almighty God. And so we go to him asking for him to answer our needs, whatever they might be. And uh, we've been you know, pounding the, the, the doorways of heaven over this family and, and for others, for Sharon Starkweather, who has suffered from a stroke a month ago, and she's recovering but still struggling with her leg and arm on her left side, so let's continue to pray for her. And uh, I, I just can't stop thinking about others. Carol Northup, obviously, we're praying for her and, and her needs, and um, there's just so many people, but I, I, with those people that we're praying for, there's those that God has shown and his, his mercy in their lives, like Vina uh, and like Lily. I didn't mention Lily, like Rachel. And, you know, you, she's, she was just recently diagnosed with, with Hodgkin's, and now she's doing great. Her body just responded immediately to, the, to all the therapies and all the, what the oncologists do, you know, in that case. And so we're just thanking the Lord for what he's doing, and we got to keep our uh, heart and mind fixed on the Lord and his ability and his power as we pray for uh, those of, uh, of us in the fellowship that are struggling. So let's go before the Lord tonight, and then we'll jump into our study. We're in he, or Numbers chapter 10 tonight, but let's ask God's blessing on, on that and these people. Lord, these people are so precious to us, and we thank you for answering our prayer concerning David. This 11-year-old boy who's just been going through it, you've shown him things, Lord. You've, you've really revealed yourself to him in, in some powerful ways. You've, you've taken this family through a difficult time, but you've shown them that you're faithful, that you're merciful, and that you have power. You've allowed others in our fellowship to go through some very difficult things, and yet, Lord, you've been so faithful to touch their bodies. I, there, I know there's those here tonight, and, and I, I see them in my mind's eye right now. I pray that you would touch their bodies, that you would relieve their, their uh, symptoms, that you, God, would, would just come and to our house of worship as we're praying and do miraculous works in the 
physical bodies that we have so that we might sing at your praise and we might serve you, Lord. And even though you slay us, even though we go through difficult times, Lord, we won't, we won't turn away. We fear no man. We trust in you alone. And I pray, God, that as we pray for our loved ones and we pray for Sharon and David and Carol, Rachel and, and so many others, that you, Lord, would come and, and bring your wonderful healing touch into their lives. We pray for Melissa's mom, Donna. We, we pray for those that loved ones that are represented here in this room. Lord, we, we place them before your all-powerful throne. We love you and thank you. And tonight, Lord, as we now turn to your word, we, we are anxious to hear from you. We've, we've worshiped you, and now we want to hear from you, Lord. And you've spoken these words. They've been recorded for us to read so that we might be encouraged and taught and led in our lives. Lord, won't you do that? Speak to us and teach us tonight. In Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Prayer is a powerful thing, and there's so many in our fellowship that need your prayer. Now, we're going to uh, study chapter 10. It's, it's a long chapter, but we're not going to read it all because there's lots of repetition like there have been in other uh, sections of uh, Scripture. But I just want to remind you where we're at. We're here in, uh, the, with the children of Israel who have been a little over a year there at Mount Sinai where God has been preparing them. That's the important note here. He's preparing them in many different ways so that they can take this journey that he's going to bring them on. The journey is going to be through an unknown area in their life. It's, it's a wilderness. It's really the desert of Sinai, but it's a wilderness for them. The parallel to the life of the believe, New Testament believer is, is so, so easy to see. We are on a journey. Both the children of Israel and you and I tonight are on the same journey through the wilderness, and we have a goal. God is leading us where? Where is he leading the children of Israel? Promised land. Where is God leading you and I? Where is this lifetime on this earth when it ends? We're absent from the body, and we're in the promised land, right? That's the, the, New the Old Testament is so radically wonderful for you and I, so beautiful for you and I, because it reminds us of God's faithfulness, of God's plan, and of God's purpose. And I think that in the society we live in, with the world around us and all the chaos, there's no better place to be than on a Wednesday night studying the Old Testament, to ground you in the Word of God, to put you in a place where you're trusting God alone in His power. Like these people in the wilderness, they're being prepared. They were 400 years in Egypt, and they were slaves, but now God's leading them. He's preparing them. He's going to move them through the wilderness, through the desert, through this unknown area that there are going to be many enemies, and so he's had to number them, organize them, and develop a fighting army amongst all the tribes. At this point in time, there are are over 680,000 soldiers that are between the ages of 20 and 50 that, that are they're gonna fight. They've been numbered, they're gonna fight. When you take that number and you you think about the women and children, you think about the those that were too young to fight and those that were older, you, you get 
two million or more, two and a half million, maybe even three million people that are there in the desert. And God has been preparing them. Back in chapter 9, right before they leave, because they leave tonight in chapter 10, right before they leave, God calls them to do something very important, and it's the Passover. And the Passover was, was for their deliverance from their bondage, and they had to, by faith, slay an animal, spread the blood. And now they're going on the, the next journey, that killing the animal, sacrificing that lamb and spreading that blood freed them from the bondage of Egypt and sin, in a sense. And now, the first thing they do the next year is God calls them to come back to the Passover, do the same uh, celebration, and through that same celebration, the second Passover, it begins their next journey, their next journey to the promised Land. So the Passover is extremely important to them. But one of the things that, and I, I hope I brought this out last week, but it's in chapter 9, verse 14. And in that section, you get this idea that God loves the Gentile, that he allows the Gentile to participate with the Hebrews Passover. And this is the cool thing. This is the wonderful thing for us. I, I, I dare to ask, I guess with the DNA test, some of you might know if you have Jewish blood in you or a little bit. Wouldn't that be cool? I think it'd be cool to know I had a little bit of Jewish blood in me. But this passage helps us to understand that God invites the non-Hebrew people to celebrate the Passover. In other words, you can believe in the God of Israel. You can put your faith, and, and you don't have to be a Hebrew. You could be a Gentile. This is kind of opening the door for us in the New Testament church who are mostly Gentile, right? I mean, no Jews in the room, maybe? You should admit it. Oh, that's right. We have talked about that, Lisa. And so most of us are non-Jews. But this portion of Scripture helps us to understand that God has given his grace to all. Isn't that a beautiful truth? That God's grace is extended not just to his people, but to all. And, and that's what this section of Scripture is so important for us to understand. Anyone, any non-Jewish person of any ethnicity could come to God and worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 14 real quick. And if a stranger, this is chapter 9, if a stranger dwells among you, that would be the non-Hebrew, and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony, you shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. So one Passover for all people, one God, Jesus Christ, for all who would come by faith to him. So again, the Old Testament just revealing the truth. Now, the, the, another beautiful thing about chapter 9 was as we read it, we understand that, that all of these verses talk about God's provision, his protection, and, and the main way God is going to do it now to lead them from Mount Sinai into the wilderness and finally to the promised land is through this manifestation of a cloud and a fire. Both remind us of his protection and his care for them. Think about it. You're in the desert. 
been out to the Mojave Desert in the middle of July or August, pretty hot. And what do you want? You want shade. You're looking for shade. You have a bush, uh, whatever it might be, umbrella, whatever it is. But God is going to provide his protection in the form of this cloud. Think about that. You're out in the desert, and God provides a cloud. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I've said that before. We get rain in Southern California. Thank you, Lord. And God provides for them not only the cloud, but fire at nighttime. I love the thought of a heavenly nightlight. You know, they're out in the desert. They're in a foreign place. They're afraid. But God has provided his protection and his guidance for his people. Now, as we come to chapter 10, there's one last thing that needs to be done before these people leave. Before they leave, and it has great significance for the New Testament believer as well. And I'm going to share that with you about in the halfway through the study, so really pay close attention. I think you'll get it. But I've entitled this section or this chapter, Sound the Trumpets. That's the title. You'll see why here. But beginning with verse 1, we see these two silver trumpets. And the Lord spoke to Moses, chapter 10, verse 1, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, so here's another way to use the trumpet, the camps that lie on the east side shall begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly, verse 7, is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. So there's a different cadence to the the trumpet. Verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests shall blow. So not anyone can do it. It's got to be the priest's sons. And these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. So trumpets are very important. They're going to follow the children of Israel till the end. Till the end. Keep that in mind. And you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Why? Because of the the trumpet. The trumpet's going to save. There's going to be a sound of the trumpet, and it's going to save. Verse 10, and also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial to you before the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Now, the trumpets that are being described here in the beginning of chapter 10 would be these obviously silver trumpets. They're long, they're straight. They have a bell at the end. You may have seen them. You see them in England more than anywhere else. I can't remember what they're called. I never played one. And I was in a marching band for several years, and I played in orchestras and, and others on the trombone. Trombone, can you imagine that? It's a really good instrument for someone with long arms, trombone. But the brass instruments, to me, I just love brass instruments. And so here we have this trumpet, and this trumpet is long, but it's made to be a loud 
clarion call. It's made to, to, to sound an alarm. It's, it's made to be very, very specific. And you can blow it in different ways, at different cadences, at different octaves. All trumpets are that way. This, is, this little shofar is not really that kind of instrument. It's not an instrument. It just it does what it does. It's really, they're hard to play. If you want to play it afterwards, if you want to put your liver lips on it after mine, you're fine tonight. tonight come up here and try. But the trumpet here, this is a different instrument than the shofar that I blew earlier. The shofar is a specific ram's horn that was to be blown at the feasts. And we find that throughout the Bible. There's 65 different times where trumpet is, um, is used, a shofar in the Hebrew that's translated into trumpet in the English. But this trumpet is different that we're looking at. These silver trumpets here are different than the shofar trumpet. In Numbers 29, uh, you can see this verse behind me on the screen. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. That specifically is not the silver trumpets that blew an alarm for war or the ones that were used here in the book of Numbers. That's the shofar. So you have the shofar and then you have these trumpets. The shofar is really convocations. It's a religious feast. And you'd have many priests and different people that had a ram's horn and they'd blow it and you'd hear the sound throughout the land. So that's a different one. Especially the shofar is used at Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Once a year, the Jewish New Year. It's 10 days before the Day of Atonement. Those are the two most important Jewish holidays, Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year of the Jewish calendar. And so they would blow the shofar, this instrument down here at my feet, and not the silver trumpet here. But the, the silver trumpet is used, notice in verse 5, the sound of advance. That would be a a blast for battle, and it was also used to assemble the nation together to begin their march, specifically tonight in chapter 10. Now, in verses 3 through 10 here, we get the different sounds and what they do. Notice the different trumpet blasts. We have the long blasts of both trumpets. That means they're to gather as a nation. Verse 3, when they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather at the door of the tabernacle. Now, each week I've shown you the picture of the tabernacle. I'm not going to show you that tonight. But it was at the eastern side of the tabernacle. So the people were supposed to come there. That's where uh, uh, Moses and Aaron and their tents were, their families were there. So they would come before them. They're the ones that were the mediators, really, the priests and Moses between God and them. And they would hear God's instruction. So both of them would blow, verse 3. But if only one trumpet blew, that would be the elders meeting, verse 4. But if they blow only one, the leaders, the heads. So each tribe, the leaders of the tribe, the leaders of the military leaders, maybe they were going to do a strategic meeting. So you'd only hear one trumpet blow for that. And it's really interesting. Verse 5 describes this battle call, the sound of the advance. The word there is really interesting. It's tu in the Hebrew, it's a battle cry. It means um, a, a marching call or an alarm for war. So this was a specific blast on this silver trumpet 
described here in verse 5 as the sound of the advance. It's specific to call the camps to the, uh, to the battle. So you had the call for the assembly, the call for the elders, and then you had the alarm. The alarm, that's verse 5. The camps that lie on the east side, look at verse 5b there. Uh, they begin their journey, six, verse 6, when you soundly advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. So there was the different blasts, and it gave instruction. Think about it, no cell phones. They don't have one of those, you know, hold it with your hand and tell everybody what to do. They have the horns, the, the trumpets. So this was a very loud instrument, and it was to alert the people. It was to engage the people. It was to alarm the people. Keep trumpets in the back of your mind because we're going to go to the New Testament. Some of you might even know where I'm going to go with this. But Verse 7 indicates a different blast or intervals here, but, but different than the alarm. Verse 7, and when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow but not sound the advance. So a different interval. Nobody knows what it was. Da, 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 da. You know, we don't know what it was. That's kind of the British one you hear all the time on the all these dramas that are out, you know. You always hear the trumpets. You see the guys hold their trumpets up with their little banner under them and da, 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 you know, they're announcing something. And so this is a different blast in verse 7 um, just to, to gather the, this assembly together, but not the sound of advance. So all these different trumpet blasts brought different responses from the people. So again, what's God doing? Preparing, organizing, ordering, so that when they get into the wilderness, they know exactly what to do. God has given the New Testament believer his word. It's a cloud to lead us. It's a trumpet blast to alert us. God still blasts his trumpet if you listen. It comes in the form of his word. He speaks to you and I through his word. Not through the heater duct, not through some bizarre communique that I, I read one tonight, a letter that was just the most bizarre letter I've ever seen, sent by a Christian organization wanting your money. If you only have, you had to have this and you'll have riches and cars and all this stuff, just send this back and put your name on it and, and put your credit card number and give, and you'll be rich beyond your, it was, it was a ripoff, ripoff. All these different blasts, all these different alarms, feasts, and all these different things for the trumpet, the silver trumpet, and the shofar. They're different, and we'll see those again and again throughout the scripture. But notice here in verse 8, it was the priest. Aaron and the priest, verse 8, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war, verse 9, in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord. So there's, a, there's this security for the people that are way on the outskirts, two and a half million big campers. It's going to take you a long time to get back to the tabernacle to find out what is going on. You're way out on the outskirts. You're... You're way out there, and it, you don't know what's happening, and you're, but you, now you hear the trumpet. Da, 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 da. Okay, I know what that means. I know exactly what that means. It's an elders meeting. Dad, you got to go. Da, 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 da. Oh, that means we need to pack up our tent. 
They knew exactly. So God is ordering his people. He's getting the people ready. They're blown for assembly, marching, warning, but they're also blown for celebration. Look at verse 10. Now, also in the day of your gladness. So we're talking about the trumpets. They're blown in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts at the beginning of your months. You shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So the trumpets were also used for celebration as well, feasts and, and uh, times, days of gladness and appointed feasts. So God has organized his people now. They're about ready to go, and it's the, the sounds of these trumpets they have the miraculous cloud of fire or, or the cloud and the fire that they can see. They have the human-powered trumpet that they can hear. God is leading. God is guiding them. They're ready for marching. They have their warnings and their celebration trumpet blasts. But everything was designed for their order and to keep them safe. So everybody knows what's going on at all times. I, I love the fact that God does that. The trumpet blast would bring them together, that it would draw them to this one place of unity. We have an enemy in the camp, or we have uh, to, to get ready for battle, or we have a meeting that, that something important is going, going to be communicated to. But all of these things were so that God could lead and guide his people during their journey. Now, I want to show you something else about the trumpets here that have to do with you as a New Testament believer. And you, you need to understand this. So I, and actually, I, I, I didn't really think about this too much before I read this. Maybe you, and, and I'm sure there are those of you in the room that, Pastor Lee, I've been thinking about this for my whole life. Well, not me. I just, the light went off in my brain today. So that was a good thing. Um, but this, the trumpet here. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Go on, hold your finger here because we're going to come back to this portion in, in Numbers or fold your page or put your pen there, whatever it takes. But Revelation chapter 1, and I want to show you something here. This, remember, Revelation is written by John. Have I told you that I've been to Patmos? Did I tell you that? I say that in Maybe it sounds prideful, but I was there last year about the same time. We were in Patmos. We actually went to the island of Patmos. It was awesome to be there and to consider that, that John was on this island, and he was isolated. It was a penal colony. There were only people there that were arrested or were political prisoners of Rome. And John was there, and when he was there, he received this message from God. And this book, Revelation, is what God revealed to John there on that desolate island, Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean there. But in verse 10 of Revelation 1, notice, I was in the spirit, John says, on the Lord's day. So he kind of tells us where he was, and it was the Lord's day. It was Sunday, and I was, he was worshiping. He was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice of a what? What does it say? Trumpet. Hmm. Saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who's that? That's the Lord. That's Jesus Christ the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, the seven churches there. 
Again, that's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who calls John to write the book of Revelation. And his voice is like a trumpet, alerting, warning, calling, just like in the book of Numbers. Turn to Revelation chapter 8. Turn to Rev chapter 8. So the book begins with the trumpet, the book of Revelation, the writing of it. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And, the, and I saw, that's John, the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, from this chapter, chapter 8, all the way through chapter 11, we get these judgments. They're called the trumpet judgment. There's a blast of warning and the judgment. Another blast of warning and the, the trumpet is still being used. And this would be for you and I, future, right? Book of Revelation, this is future. I, I, this, is, this is just so exciting just to read this. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 15. So we've had six trumpets go off. I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to go into every blast in the judgment, but here is the seventh. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded, that's the trumpet blast, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped. God. The seventh trumpet. Seven is the number of completion. The judgments are over. The time of, of being with God is forever. The trumpet blast, the seventh trumpet, is the announcement of this universal reign of Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. And it's the blast of the trumpet. Again, this connection between the old and new, where we see the slightly revealed in the old and then we see it completely revealed in the new. The trumpet that God tells his people there at the base of Mount Sinai, I want you to blow this trumpet and I want you to keep blowing this trumpet through all your generations for all of these things, feasts and holidays to remember. Why? Because there's going to be a day when we hear a trumpet And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there with me. 1 Thess chapter 4. This is the most exciting one, so I'm going to wait for you to get there. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this portion of Scripture that you know well. It's about the rapture of the believing church, those that are, are caught up before the Lord. And this Scripture, Paul tells us here, it's actually done with clouds and trumpets here. I, I love this. This is the part I had never seen before. Look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died 
and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Sleep here. We're not talking soul sleep. We're talking about death. The death of the Christian in the New Testament is always compared to sleep. Your body goes to sleep, but you're very much alive in the Lord. To die is to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. It's immediate. The New Testament does not teach soul sleep, which is what Seventh-day Adventism teaches. That's not a New Testament truth or a biblical truth. That's a, that's a man-made theological discussion. The, Paul always referred to a Christian who had died as someone sleeping. When you see a body in a casket, it looks like they're sleeping. And so it's just a reference to a Christian. That, but to be absent from the body is to be immediately in, in the presence of the Lord. So he's talking about those that had died, these believers that had died here. For this we say, verse 15, to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain, God may it be so tonight. Who isn't sick and tired of all this stuff going on? I don't want to watch news anymore. I want to go to heaven. I just want to be raptured. It's the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise. Verse 17, those who are alive will remain and be caught up, harpazo, raptured together with them. Where do we go? Clouds. We're not talking about, you saw clouds today, right? You came in to the parking lot. You looked to the west and there were clouds. That's not what we're talking about here. The clouds are referring to the people, the clouds of believers that meet the Lord in the air, clouds. You know, it's hard to to describe how many people were in the desert, in the wilderness of Sinai. And I I say, you hear me, your pastor say, two million. and go, wow, that's a lot of people. Oh, wait a minute. You rarely see a million people at one time in one place. Talk about a cloud. This is a cloud of people. And they all come together. They come together in a cloud. We have trumpets and clouds meeting the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Therefore, comfort one another, Paul says, with these words. So God uses a trumpet to call forth the dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. And he takes everyone into this cloud on a journey to where? The promised land up to heaven. Are you getting it like I did today? I mean, I I, I must be dense, but I just got it today. And we get to the promised land and we live forevermore with the Lord. This is a glorious truth. So all of God's people are caught up into the clouds and will be with the Lord where God dwells. And according to this verse, verse 17 here in in 1 Thess 4, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Brought through the wilderness and placed carefully and wonderfully in the hands of God in the promised land. Uh, Again, this is all future reality, but it's pictured as you now flip back to Numbers. 
It's all pictured right here in Numbers. The journey, the children of Israel, the wilderness wanderings, God leading them miraculously with the, the fire and the cloud and then audibly with a trumpet blast through the wilderness, through the fallen world. And one day soon, man, I can't wait. I'm going to hear a trumpet. Maybe I should blow this again so you get used to it. No, I don't, I, I don't think there'll be any problem discerning it. I think every believer will know exactly what's going on when that trumpet goes off and we'll just be out of our shoes, gone. Now, let's go back to Numbers chapter 10. Let me come back to reality here for a moment. I love that section. The departure from Sinai, this, this next section will go pretty quick. Look at verse 11, their departure. Now, they've, they've been prepared. God's done everything. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. In the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle. By the way, remember in chapter 9 where God, if you were on a journey or if you had touched a dead body, you couldn't do the Passover. Remember that? And God said, you can do it next month on the 14th day. Second month, what day? Here, what did we just read? It's the 20th day. So all those that didn't do this, the uh, Passover for those reasons, they've done it. They're ready. They're prepared. And on the 20th day, they set out. It says that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So now the cloud moves, and the people respond, and they begin to move. And again, this is the first time they've marched. They've been organized. They've gone through all this preparation by the Lord as a nation, and now they're moving just think about this for a moment again. Every time I think about this group of people, in my mind, I see a mob uh, of, of people that don't, they've been slaves all their life. They're not organized. They've been slaves of a government. They've been oppressed people. And they've been at the foot of the Mount Sinai. And that's, why did it take a year? Because they were just a mob of people. They were lost. And God's organized them in every way. He's organized them around the tabernacle. He's built this structure. They built it under God's uh, direction. And now they're ready to do everything that he wants to do. They're fully prepared, and they're moving out as a different kind of people. Think about it. They came as a mob, but now they're a promised land people. They're set up, and they are ready to go. And they have a lot ahead of them. And notice what they do. They leave the wilderness, it says, of Sinai, verse 12, and they settle down, notice this, in the wilderness of Paran, which is kind of interesting. They go from one wilderness <laughs> to another. In other words, God is going to take them through these wilderness times to train, to organize, to mature, and to help them grow. You and I are in this lifetime, and we go through some difficult things in our wilderness, wouldn't you agree? And sometimes you find yourself in a place where you just don't understand why God's got you there, but you know what? It's for your growth. What, what, Lord, why? Because he wants you to grow. I try not to tell Christians that because it sounds like an answer that doesn't have a lot of substance behind it, but it's so true. As Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight, and God is growing us, and he's, 
He's helping us to, to get to the next wilderness and the next wilderness because his plan is ultimately to get us to the promised land. That's where we're headed. We're promised land people. We have all the promises of God at our disposal. You have the New Testament. These, they, they didn't have Christ. They look forward to Christ. We have Christ. We have the apostles. We have the New Testament. These are promised land people, and now they're organized. We're promised land people, and we need to go through these times of wilderness so God can help grow our faith. Like a soldier who graduates from boot camp thinking, I'm ready for battle. You know, six weeks of boot camp, and they're ready for battle. Every soldier would tell you, no, 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 you're not ready for battle yet. You, you just finished boot camp because the battle has greater challenges. So you need to go from one small wilderness to the next to grow, and God will take you to something greater for his purpose and for his glory. One real quick word of application here is the Israelites, they moved out by the direction of the cloud. The cloud moved. So they're in the hot sun. They don't want to be there, so they're going to follow the cloud. That was God's direction for them. As New Testament believers, we move out by the command of God's word. We submit to God's word. It's the Bible that's our authority. Every word of the Bible, not portions that you choose or select, not some view of the Bible that, that uh, only portions of it are true, but the verbal, plenary, inspirational view of the scriptures. Verbal, the words, the very words. Plenary, every word. All of it inspired by God and useful for our correction, direction, every word of it. As a believer, I read the book of Genesis and I believe what it says about God creating the world and in, in the order that he says it. When I read the New Testament, I can trust in the words of Paul and his experiences and the direction he gives me as a leader of the church because it's in the word. We're moved not by a cloud, but by the word of God. Now, in verses 14 through 28, we get this description of the order of the march. I'll just, just rip through this really quick. Each tribe is to follow the banner, the flag, the standard. There's a flag. Remember the flags? When God organized the people, he had a flag. And then th th their flag was a lion. So the tribe of Judah was under the lion. You know, they, the, remember, the tabernacle was very ornately made and craftsmen sewed together its fabric. So they made these big fabric, beautifully flowing flags that, that represented the people. So they're under their standards there. The standard, verse 14, of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies. Issachar and Zebulun. Then jump down to verse 17. Then the tabernacle was taken down and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. I always wondered, how long do you think it would take to, to tear down the tabernacle? You know, if it was the crew of Calvary Chapel, that's John and Ernie and Sean and, you know, maybe six or seven of the other, you know, it would take us days. They had, they had a thousands and thousands of helpers. And so they each have one little job. I think they could tear that thing down quick. 
I'm thinking they could tear that thing down less than an hour, set it up in an hour because, of the, because there's so many hands in there. Then from verse 18 all the way through 27, each tribe, this is the part we're not going to, I'm not going to read all these verses, but you see each tribe, they're marching under their banner. And then verse 28, thus was the order of the march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So 18 to 27, each tribe, their banner, to follow the people or follow their banner. And they marched, the cloud moved, the trumpet blast, the people moved out. They obeyed God. They obeyed his word. They had Moses as their leader. They had the priest blowing the trumpets, the cloud moving. They were totally equipped and organized, and they did exactly what God wanted them to do. They're promised land people. They're obeying the word of God. They're marching to his orders and not the world. Christian, we don't march to the world's beat. We're believers in the Bible we march to its commands. Don't let anybody try to convince you. I don't, care, I don't care how many Facebook posts they put out. The Bible's your authority is what I'm saying, not Instagram. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his word. And then look at verse 29. This is kind of an interesting little side story on the back story here. Moses invites Hobab, Hobab, now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite. Midianite, who's that? Remember the Midianites? Moses' father-in-law, we're setting out for the place which the Lord said, I'll give it to you. Come with us. Moses says, Hobab, come with us and we'll treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things for our nation. We're moving out now to the promised land. Come with us. And Hobab said, I don't want to go. I'll just go back to the desert land. I'm, I'm a Midianite. I'm, my relatives lived there. We're sheep herders. Don't you remember, Moses, when you, you came and you found your, your uh, spouse, Zipporah? This is Zipporah's brother here, Hobab. And he's been with the children of Israel there at the Mount Sinai. So, so Moses, is this is his brother-in-law. And you say, come on, Hobab, come with us. What, what do you think? What, why aren't you coming with us. You've got to come with us. And ah, I'm going to go back to the desert. But Moses has this thought. Notice what he says. He says, please don't leave. And as much as you know, we are to camp in the wilderness. You can be our eyes. And it will be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be that whatever good the Lord does to us, we'll do the same to you. So again, Hobab is Moses' brother-in-law. And Moses is saying that, listen, these people were living in the wonderful Nile River Valley, lots of water, lots of green stuff for their herds. But they're out in the wilderness. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle this. They don't know what to look for. They don't know where to find shade. And we need a guide like you, Hobab. We really need your help to go on this, this journey. That's really what he's asking for. Any valuable guide can lead you to the water or the shade or the best routes. The truth is, is that God is going to provide the direction for these people. But there's nothing wrong at all with God using someone that you know to guide you. And I, I love this wonderful walking by faith, but with your brothers and sisters and those around you. 
God has never called us to isolate ourselves as Christians into a, a monastery and, and, and move into a place where we, it's just our little club, it's our little belief, it's our own little doctrinal thing, and we cloister ourselves from the world around us. That's not at all what we're to do. We're to be in the world, not of the world, as Christians. And so here we have Moses asking for his brother-in-law to come along. And then the closing verse here, the prayer of Moses so they departed, verse 33, from the mountain of the Lord on the journey for three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for those three days' journey to search a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day, and they went out from the camp. So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, here's Moses' prayer, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, let those who hate you, flee before you. And when it rested, that's the ark, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. I, I love that prayer. It's very simple. God, go before us. Take care of our enemies before us as we go out into the wilderness here. And then when they stopped, return, Lord, and be with us. I mean, that's a beautiful prayer. Rise up, O Lord, and go before us. Listen, God directs us through his word. God guides us and protects us. We are promised land people. You have the eternal promise that you'll be in heaven one day. It's up to you to live like it. It's up to me to grow through the wilderness experiences with my eyes on the prize on heaven with victory day after day. And when the trumpet sounds, <laughs> like it says in the wonderful old hymn, when that trumpet sounds, may I then in him be found, trusting in his righteousness alone. We're promised land people, just like these children of Israel Let's listen for the trumpets. Let's be excited for the Lord's soon coming. Let's, let's let the world fade away and keep our eyes on the prize. Amen? Father, thank you for the word tonight. So grateful, Lord, for the truth of these wonderful verses that we're studying in the Old Testament. How they ring so true in the New Testament. And Lord, we are truly people, promised land, people. You've given us all those promises, and we have those in the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of eternal life, the promise of sins forgiven, the promise, Lord, of, of growing and maturing through difficulties and trials and hardships. Lord, may we ever live to worship and to serve you. And Father, tonight, if there are any here that, that are concerned or worried, that they themselves feel that they're alone in the wilderness, may these verses and may this text encourage their heart to help them understand that the wilderness experience is it's just moving from one to another, and finally, they'll be home with you. There's an eternal home, a a place not made with hands in the heavenlies. It's been promised to every 
believer in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we put our hope in your Son. Make us, Lord, promised land people in this world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.